you know, Billy Friedkin years ago, I was like very young. I was like my, maybe my second or third job. And I, and I said to him, I go, I go, Billy, what if I do this over here? And he goes, yeah, that's great, but you're not in the frame. So you're not in the movie. And I'm like, oh, copy that. Yeah, that's terrific, kid. But I don't know what movie you're in because you're not in this one. Welcome to Household Faces, the podcast where a character actor interviews other character actors. I'm your host, John Ross Bowie. You might know me from The Big Bang Theory or Speechless or the Netflix Channel 4 co-pro Feel Good. Our guest this week is Yule Vasquez, who you'll recognize as Pete from Severance, but has a really long and interesting career filled with uh, very zeitgeisty roles. Uh, we talk a little bit about his uh, tendency to to book parts that, that sort of reflect something that's going on in the culture, whether it's a mistrust of corporate America in Severance, whether it's the idea of a multiverse in Russian Doll, whether it's people questioning the efficacy of the drug war in Narcos. Um, and uh, we also talk a little bit about hair metal organically. It comes up very, very organically. He was in two bands that could come under that moniker. A Havana native who has lived in the United States since he was two, his career spans music and the visual arts and film and TV. There's some Seinfeld in there. There's the Mambo Kings. It's a really, really interesting, diverse road he has taken. And I think you're going to get a lot out of this interview. And there's also some really good practical actor advice thrown in there. Please welcome our guest, Yul Vasquez. First of all, Yule, thank you so much for, for doing this and taking the time. Um, I know you're uh, you're, you're you. in Miami right now, and um, I know you've you've got a lot of work to do. So I appreciate you uh, taking an hour, hour and a half or so. But I, I want to talk since we're discussing work. I want to talk about severance because it seems like it's sort of an amazing time for that show to be on the air. There's just this general sense since the pandemic of like, okay. Our bosses want us to come to work no matter what the cost. <laughs> you know, I, I, the show business has to go on no matter what dangers uh, it, it imparts to our employees. All systems go. And then a show like Severance mm -hmm. comes along. And I'm assuming you shot it during the pandemic. In the center of it. In the center of it. Yeah. I can, I, you, you, the, it, you've all got masks in your literally pocket. Literally. Yeah. Oh yeah, no masks and shields. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, masks, masks and shields. The, the the thing about Severance was that it was originally going to shoot. It was originally going to shoot in March, and then uh, the pandemic hit, and then they pushed to September, September of 2020, right. which is still no vaccines. You know, it's, we're yeah. right in the right in the. Right in it, man. There's no no vaccine. No, there was no talk. And, you know, none of that was happening. And uh, push through a lot of regulations. You know, a, a lot of a lot of guidelines. Um, but very hard to do something that is a very you know, acting. You know, as you know, it's a very personal endeavor. It, it requires. It requires no masks, <laughs> and no filters. It requires complete, uh, complete openness, and then to do it in, you know, 
all the rehearsals, everything was with a mask and a shield. Oh, man. So we were required to wear shields as well. Uh, either shields or this eyewear. Okay. Because, of course, the, the COVID could go into your eyes. Yeah. Um, the shield was like this, um, you know, those collars that they put on dogs when they, they uh, on their heads, those yeah. cones? Yeah, to keep you from chewing your stitches. So, right. So it was a collar, and then the shield was only in the front, and it went up. <clears throat> oh, God. So you had the mask, and you had a shield. And, in fact, I had, so, and everybody's shield had a name. And I, you know, Adam had, says Adam or whatever. And then mine, I said, I wrote B. Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> on mine i was like sure i'm gonna do b arthur why not yeah um yeah. and 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 ben ben was like what is that i'm like you know i just think that not enough attention is paid to her no by all and means i wanted to yeah i wanted to fucking you know like if we're gonna do this madness let's fucking go let's go full tilt man yeah and you want to honor you know? that legacy absolutely with the fucking shield by all means you know but the thing the crazy, the crazy thing was you didn't want to cut because when you cut, all the COVID officers would, would come on with boxes and then the, and then the, the, she, the mask and the shield would go on and then they would spray our hands and yeah. we'd go like this. And then that was 10 minutes. Right, right. You know, so it was, so sometimes it, we just wouldn't cut. And we would just keep rolling and, and the directions would come in and then nobody. And then when Ben had it, then he'd cut. But you could have takes that were 25, 30 minutes. Well, that, that was like what, takes yeah. on, on the digital. Right, right. That was that was uh, that leads me to, to two more questions. What's interesting about your character, what distinguishes your character, particularly in the early episodes, is that you're the only guy who realizes how bad things are. So you've got to have an emotional rawness that the other characters have the luxury of not going to. You know, Pe Peach is kind of falling apart because he has some idea of how bad things have gotten at the company, whereas everyone else is in their kind of, you know, they're, they're quite literally separating their work and their life and they have no idea what the other hand is doing. So was it, did you think it was maybe a little extra challenging for you to get to that rawness while you're also, while your head's wrapped in gauze? <laughs> Hey, yeah, base, basically wrapped in gauze. Um, yes, it, it. So your your question is very interesting because um, Pete also. I also knew where I had to get. I knew, I knew it was four episodes. Right. I knew exactly. I knew exactly the trajectory. I didn't know. I I wasn't. I didn't have all the scripts. Okay. But I knew from my discussions with Zooms. I was here in Miami actually. During, because I land in Miami in March twelfth of twenty twenty. That's the day before I LA landed. Lockdown. I had been in yeah. LA. Yo, I was the next day was locked down. Yeah, because it was Friday the thirteenth. I remember um, that everything Correct. shut down. Right? Yeah. Correct. I had been in L in LA to do a reshoot or something, and landed here because I was coming here. To, I had a show. I had an opening of of uh, of a. I'm, I was having a gallery show. Right, because you're a and painter and a photographer, as we course, discussed the, before. Yeah, the thirteenth, everything shut down, and that was and that was it. So, uh, I had conversations from here with Ben Zooms and and Dan and Adam. We, we we rehearsed. We were able to rehearse 
some things. So I knew where I had to go. Okay. You know, so that was, that was, uh, um, that made it easier in a way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because I, I knew where I had to wind up. So I had to, we had to pace this thing. You know, you didn't, you didn't want to peak this thing too quick because we had to go to a very dark end in three. Right. So that was an advantage. The other, the disadvantage was that it was, it was a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah. Um, and, and, and Ben said, look, this, you, you're, you're going to have to, the show turns on you. Um, so you, well, you, you know, you know, I said, I remember saying to him a couple of times while we were shooting, I said, fuck, this part is hard. And, and he said to me, yeah, that's why I fucking hired you. Oh, that's nice to like hear. Like he, like basically like, like stop complaining about how hard the part is. That's why you're fucking here. Like, just shut up. Like, that's the part. We know that's the part. So, you know, you know, it's one of those things, you know, actors going like, fuck, man, how am I going to do this? Because it was fucked up. You know, we looked at videos of guys convulsing and then the hemorrhaging and the, it was all. Oh, really? It, yeah. Well, there was a, you know, the, 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 the seizure. Mm -hmm. There's a shot he didn't use where I'm convulsing on the ground, which may have been just too, too much uh, for, the, for the folks. But um, um, as I, when I fall down yeah. from the freezers, it's it's kind of the guy's having a it goes into a full on seizure. But so the answer to your question is yes, it was very hard with all with all the layers we had. But the advantage for me was that I knew I knew where the finish line was. I knew what I had to get to. Okay. And if you know that, it's kind of you're kind of it's it's good because you then. You can then, um, uh, you have a target. Yeah, it's almost like an emotional target. roadmap. Like you've got to hit this, this place, and this place, and then eventually you're exactly. going to end up here. And and that end point is the furthest you have to go. So you know how to kind of exactly. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. That's really interesting. What Stiller like as a director is he? He strikes me as he's got an incredible visual flair. I mean, the the, the show looks like a Kubrick movie, but how is he? Does. How is he with uh, with actors? Well, yeah, as you know, Ben is an actor, and Ben's Ben's been in showbiz since he's a kid. I mean, Ben his entire life has been in showbiz. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, he's the child of extremely talented parents. Yeah. Um, so Ben is Ben understands that directors that 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 actors what actors need. You know, and and you have to be careful with an actor because you can say the wrong thing and send them down the wrong road. Right. So the, the best compliment that I can give any director, and there's, there's a couple of guys that, that I've worked with, uh, Ben being one of them, that, 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 and the other one was Phil Hoffman, Philip, Philip Seymour Hoffman, okay. uh, as it was one of the greatest directors I'd ever, I'd ever worked with, is that you, you always know that those guys are never going to let you look like an asshole. Mm. You know what I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah. That's a big deal for an actor. You're like, this guy has my back. Yeah. So he's going to ask me to do things that are going to be like, you're going to go to the fucking edge, but I know he's not going to let me look bad. And that was like, that was a big deal because in this thing, I had to do things where I didn't, I didn't know what the visual effects that was going to be added in post was going to look like. Of course. So I had to trust him. He would be like, "You're gonna, you're gonna go down this hallway, and then 
and then you're gonna pain, you're gonna have pain, and then and then you, what's gonna happen behind you is it's gonna move like this, and, I, and I'm and I'm like, there's no way I, I could fucking know. I could imagine it. Yeah, I could imagine it in my head, but if I didn't trust him, there was we're fucked. You know what I mean? So that that's the biggest compliment that I can give Ben. He's a fucking great director, and he's very clear on what he wants. He's not there's no ambiguity, man. He's crystal clear on what he wants and he and and he wants choices in the edit you know he wants to be able to to do to cut this thing you know uh, you know 50 ways like and, and i don't mean 50 ways visually 50 I mean ways 50 ways emotionally yeah yeah right right because the visual was very the you know jessica lee gagne who shot it who who's worked very closely with him did denimora with him oh, okay uh is a fucking genius. Yeah. She, she's like 31 years old. Oh, fuck she's, is she? Uh, she's, <laughs> yeah, you well, she was probably she was probably in her late 20s when she shot Danamora. So you know so I mean? but uh, as a photographer, so, are you are you are you, you're probably a little extra attuned to this sort of thing? Are you the kind of guy who like wanders over to the monitor and goes, "What does this look like?" You know, what is this composition like? Or do you stay My at my favorite well, you can't do that on you can't you can do that a little bit here, but Ben doesn't like there's no like you know, there's some directors are like, you know, like Soderbergh. Soderbergh, there's no monitors in a Soderbergh movie. Oh, interesting. There's no video village. The only monitor is on Soderbergh's camera, and he operates the camera. Yeah. And he doesn't want you to fucking ask him. Fair enough. Don't ask him for playback. Don't ask him how it looks. Don't fucking ask him anything. Okay. He'll tell you. Okay. He'll be like, he'll be like, he'll shoot this, and he'll be like, puts the camera down, and he's on to the next thing. That means he got it. He's not going to come over and go, hey, great job, Joe. really <laughs> terrific. I mean, you know. You know, that's just not going to fucking happen. Okay. It's just not, you know, and it's something, it's weird. It's weird for some actors, but once you get used to that shit, you know, okay, that's what it is. Right. So Ben is like, Ben doesn't want to show you a lot of things. And you, you, you can look at it. You can look at it. He, he might go, come here. You will look at the shot. But I knew, I know the lenses because I'm, I'm a camera nerd. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, so I love cameras and I knew we were shooting an anamorphic. Right which is just a gorgeous, super wide, you know, and I knew the lenses we were using and I know the sizes. So there's a, there's a, there's a dance you can do with the camera because you know, the, the, the camera and the lenses are your partners. Yeah. That's a good way they're, to put it. They're your partners in this. They're not your enemies. They, they, they can help you depending on what you, what the focal length is of these lenses. Where, how close are you? Right. How far away are you? You know, is it a two shot? You know, where, what is it that what is in the frame? You know, um, uh, you know, Billy Friedkin years ago, I was like very young. I was like my maybe my second or third job. And I and I said to him, I go, I go, Billy, what if I do this over here? And he goes, yeah, that's great. But you're not in the frame. So you're not in the movie. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, copy that. <laughs> yeah, that's terrific, kid. But I don't know what movie you're in because you're not in this one. <laughs> You know, I always think it's fucking incredible. I always think it's reasonable to ask, like, you know, just where am I? Like, where do I cut off? Am I cut off like sternum? Am I like, you know, crotch? Where where is my cutoff? And, and yeah. can I adjust? You know, I don't necessarily have to look at the monitor, but I like to know how much of me is there. What's interesting about severance is how much negative space is used. You know, there's those four cubicles in the center of the bullpen there, but then it's wide. It's, you know, meters and meters of space on all, all sides. And there's also a lot of emptiness and quietude in the performances. 
there's a lot of moments, even even when Pete is like in the dark night of his soul, there's still moments of, of incredible stillness. It's a very dynamic show in that regard. Because because you've got these, these various levels of like incredible intensity and then incredible quiet. Um, was that something you were cognizant of while you were making it? Or did it just, when you watched the finished product, you're like, oh, look at that. No, I mean, I, 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 it's hard to envision the finished product sure, really. Sure. Ultimately, you know, you you, but you you can see you can see the set design, mm -hmm. you can see the lighting, you and if you if you've done this long enough, you get a sense of what oh, this is what's this is what's going on here. Um, but it's again, it's it's hard to um, to envision that uh, some of those shots inside inside the MDR floor uh, are um, just stunning. You know, there's a great, um, you could look, I think you can find it. Uh, there's an interview with Jessica Lee Gagné where she talks about shooting the show, you know, and she uh, she had originally, um, I, can, I have it, I can send it to you. Um, I'd love she had originally, uh, she had originally declined the job because she had said to Ben, uh, it's all walls basically. <laughs> and how do we make walls interesting? You know, you know, how are we going to make this fucking interesting? How, you know, and then it's funny, the guy doing the interview said, well, now they're the most interesting walls, you know, in, 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 in cinema. You know I mean? I, I'm like, hesitant to say that the walls are a character, but the walls are a fucking character. I mean, yeah. you know, particularly when... No, they are. The whole thing is... You know, it's, the, the walls are a metaphor. They're a visual marker. There are a bunch of things going on there. They they divide uh, what we know and what we don't. I mean, there's just, you know, the lit major in me is just obsessed with the walls. <laughs> oh, the walls are... The walls, imagine, just imagine the, 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 the symbolism of walls yeah, in our yeah. own lives and in, 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 in everything. Uh, I mean, it's, and you know, I mean, it, 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 this thing with her is interesting. I think you dig watching it, man. Cause it's a, you know, she's just very, she's very, I think I find her super compelling. And, uh, I think she's, uh, uh, supremely talented, you know, cinematographer. Hey everybody, Tim Heidecker here with huge news. Office Hours Live recorded another episode live. It was one of our great ones with the great Rory Scovel, who's got a new special out on MAX. Oh, yeah. And the Trinity's here, DJ Doug Pound. Yes, hello. And Victor Berger the Fourth. Hi, hi, hi. Can't we, wait for the fifth. We enjoy the heck out of doing the show, and so will you. If you find us on the podcast app of your choice, now. You're um, you're in Miami right now. You grew up there, right? After being born in in Havana. I was born in Havana, and I came when I was two. Oh, when you were two? Okay, so even earlier than than I yeah. I realized. So it, it kind of sounds like you your parents were. I mean, you're named. Are, are you in fact named for Yul Brenner? Is that is that true? I was named. I was named for Yul Brenner. My mother was infatuated with Yul Brenner. I know it's. 
it's very hard to be a to be a Cuban kid going around with the name Yule because people always thought your name was Julio. And I was like, <laughs> of course. No, it's it's Yule. <laughs> I go, oh, Yuli? I go, no, it's just fucking Yule. <laughs> Although I learned, this will be interesting. I learned later on that Yule Brinner's name, in fact, his full name was like Yuli. Or like Yulia, or or you know, it was. And then they sort of shortened it to Yule. It, it's um, a it's a Russian name, right? It is a Russian name. Yeah. That's exactly right. It's a it's it's a Russian name. But my mother had this. Um, it's so crazy because uh, my mother had this infatuation with Yul Brenner. My mother was an actress, okay, um, and then came to this country with her with myself and my sister have an older sister and no husband you know my parents were already they were already on the outs and 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 so i didn't speak english had to get two jobs and then you know so uh i was named after yule brenner and as i when i was a kid so my grandmother worked in the box office of a movie theater in cuba for probably 25 years uh, and the ticket, the ticket office. Um, and, um, when I was a kid, um, I didn't, I never wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be, my heroes were British guitar players. Okay. My heroes were Jimmy Page and, and Clapton and Brian May from Queen sure. and Richie Blackmore from Deep I mean, I, I wanted to be, that's what I wanted to be. And I played in bands my whole fucking life up until my life takes a very sharp. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna talk yes. about diving for pearls. Don't you don't you fret. We're getting there. <laughs> no, it's a it's a it's a, listen. I've I tell people I've had three lives. Um, so but when I was a kid, my my grandma would say to me, "You look like um, you look like uh, um um Tyrone Power." And I'd be like, "Oh, I see that, Grandma. I, I don't know who the fuck that is. Tyrone Power. I don't know who Tyrone Power is." I. So this just went on and on and on. I found out recently, this is nuts, that Tyrone Power was doing a movie and he dies. He dies just as about the movie is about to begin. He's, he dies He's on replaced. set. It's replaced by Yul Brynner. That's right. Oh, what is the what is the name it's of the replaced film? Replaced by Yul Brynner. What is the name just, of the film? God, uh, he dies. I forgot the name of the film. There's a, but... there's a, a shot of him and George Sanders on set just before Tyrone Power has his heart attack. I know um, my father was a massive Tyrone Power fan, and so I grew up watching, you know, uh, Blood and Sand and and all that stuff. Um, oh, what is that fucking movie called? I'll fix it for the outro. Um, but um, that's crazy. So, but it sounds like you. So, you, isn't that crazy? That is. That is really wild. But it sounds like you've. You've got this. <laughs> it sounds like you, you, you've, you've got this very uh, unusual childhood where, like, <laughs> no child of mine is going to be a CPA. You're going to be an actor, young man. You know, it kind of sounds like there's this incredible encouragement to uh, to do a job that a lot of parents don't encourage. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I was very, uh, you know, my mother supported all of the artistic endeavors from. Uh, buying me a drum kit when I was six years old, oh my which is, you know, no parent should ever do for a child. Yeah. My, you know, my, we, my son wants know, we a... lived in, uh, 
Yeah, my son wants a drum kit, and uh, no fucking way. No, he'll he'll I'll, I'll I'll encourage his guitar playing, but I'm not going. I don't want a drummer in my house. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, do I I do you, do you have a big home? Uh, not big enough for a fucking drum kit. I'll tell you that right now. Um, uh... <laughs> well, we lived in an efficiency. Oh, for God's which is sake. what they which is it's what they call here in Miami Beach is what's it's what's a studio. Uh huh. And it was me and my mother and my sister and my grandmother. Okay. Right. So I shared a bed with my grandmother. Oh, I, was, I, was, I was little. My sister had her own bed and my mother slept on a couch. And in the fucking corner, man, was my drum kit. Wow. They loved you. Okay. So don't let your son watch this interview because you'll be fucked. No, I wouldn't dream of it. Because if you have even three more feet of space, You'd get him a drum kit. No, no, out of the question. Listen, you can buy him an electronic kit. He can put headphones on and play. I might get him one of those things it. with the pads. I might, I might do an electronic. Yeah, kit. no one, no one will hear. No it. one will be the wiser. It'll just sound like he's in there with a FedEx box. I the great uh, Solomon and Sheba. By the way, I just looked it up um, because if you're anything, oh if, wow, if you're if you're anything like me, you wouldn't be able to sleep tonight. So it's Solomon and Sheba. He was Solomon. Uh, Ken Vidor was uh, directing, and he he died on set. Um, and yeah, it was replaced by, by Yul Brynner. Um, so, so what were at what, Wait, well, I just wanted to add one more, one more footnote to, to that Yul, Yul Brynner thing is that Yul, Yul Brynner, I also find out later on that Yul Brynner was an amazing photographer. Was he? Oh, interesting. Yes. And his daughter, Victoria put out these five volumes of his, of his photos and it's called Yule. Okay. It's fucking nuts oh that's so cool i know about um you know i know about yeah. dennis hopper and i know about roddy mcdowell and all the other great you know photographers of that era of actor i did not know about yule brenner i got to look up his stuff that's so that's so cool anyways i'm sorry to interrupt you but yeah it's just crazy no that's yeah that's exactly the sort of tangent that i i welcome uh, and it's so interesting that you too have pursued photography and you have pursued uh, painting and you've pursued music. How do they all kind of feed each other? I, you were you had a, a fairly successful career as a musician before you transitioned into acting. What what did you learn from being in a band that serves you as an actor? Um that I'm not sure I, I want to be in a band again. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so much heavy lifting. I mean, there's so much lifting in a band. It's, <laughs> it's, it's being in a band is a, listen, I'm friends with guys in huge bands, mm -hmm. like bands that, you know, like that are like some of my best friends. You know what I mean? And, uh, and, uh, you know, we talk about the, you know, one of them is on, two of them are on the road right now, actually. And they're like, like, and they're sometimes they're like, yeah, this motherfucker, man, like, fuck him. You know, and like, <laughs> so, you know, bands are tough. You know, something, look, I started playing guitar um, because I loved guitar playing. I loved, I wanted to be Jimmy Page. I, I, I loved what he was doing. I loved him. I loved his musical brain. I love Brian May and these guys, and I wanted to play. And I was a kid, down the, grew up down the street from where I am right now. Like, you know, fucking wood shopping in his in his bedroom, man. You know what I mean? Like, like a, eight hours and hours and hours. And then I'd go, and then we were. I play in a cover band, and then and then I'd and then I'd I'd go to school, and then I'd go to work, and then so I, this was like I didn't sleep. It was like I just wanted to be that. And then and then I and then. I got in a band and then I went, 
I moved to New York and got in a band. I was in a band. I go to New York basically to audition for a band that was, um, you know, I, I just, I just, I just, I need to add this because I think it's important. I always say that my life, a lot of my life, most of my life, really, let's say all, all my life, is is a, is a series of, of excellent decisions made by very smart women. Okay. Starting with my mother's decision to leave Cuba. Okay. To not want to live under that regime right. and say, no, no food is not going to work. Right. No, we're, we're going to... So taking her kids out of there, mm -hmm. decision one by a woman, smart one, good. Then I played... Then I grew up here. I played in a band. I took, I took this place at that time as far as you could take being in a band here. There was no. I hit. I hit the ceiling. Uh -huh. I mean, I, I. And then it was like, where do you go? And my girlfriend at that time, again, smart woman, <laughs> knew somebody in New York at Epic Records. Epic was looking at this band called Urgent. Mm -hmm. They were maybe going to sign this band, um, and they they were looking for a guitar player. And this this girl, uh, Gigi Freddie is her name, uh, says, "You, we're going to New York." And I go, "What? Like you understand? I'm like this Cuban kid, never left, never left. I, I we I, I lived with her. We had our own place, but I never left. Like." where my mom lived. Right. You know what right. I mean? That was like, had never been away from her you know, city. I, I, right. I was the youngest in a house full of women. Mm. Just wrap your head around that for a second. Mm. You know what I mean, and, and Cuban, you know what I mean? It's like those, those ties, man, those ties are, are deep. And like, my mother was like the central figure in my, in my life. So my girlfriend goes, you're going to die here. Oof. Like it, you know, this is it. You're going to, there's nothing else you can do here. So we're, you're going to go to New York and you're going to audition for this fucking band. And if you fucking, she engineers this whole thing and I go. What, and what I get year the is job. this? This is 80. This is, uh, this is, uh, uh, yeah, this is 84. Okay. Okay. So you're like 19 years no, old. Maybe a little later. Okay. You're 19 huh? or 20. You're, 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 you're fairly young. There's no music scene to speak yes. of in, there's no like rock music scene to speak of in Miami at that point. It's predominantly Latin music, unless I'm mistaken. Yeah, but the, it, the, there was, <clears throat> it, 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 it was a lot of disco. There was some, there was, there was a rock scene, but it was cover bands. Right, yeah, yeah. There's no original if rock you music. Weren't a, yeah. You could play... Yeah. No, yeah. you can play in a cover band and play forever and play in these bars and 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 you just want to fucking jump out of building. You know, what I, mean? <laughs> you know I mean, I, I can't if, if I tell you the people that I played in, you know, and that's a circuit we do. And that circuit would take you out to Alabama and Georgia and you come back down. That's how you earn a living as a cover band here. Right. Man. Right. You know, I played in some of the most fucking redneck bars you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> like. Literally, what motherfuckers are throwing shit at you. you know? Chicken like, wire. Not, like straight out of the. Yeah, exactly. Straight. I played a bar in Homestead that had the chicken wire. Hilarious. I love it. Okay. I love it. It was a biker bar in Homestead, Florida. Our younger listeners, uh, we are referencing a wonderful scene in the Blues Brothers um, uh, that apparently you uh, lived through. 
Correct. All right, so you, well, so you go up to New York to audition for Urgent. I get the job. Nice. Uh, and then I'm, now I'm in New York. I'm living, I live in New York now, you know, yeah. because we moved to New York. And uh, Urgent winds up not getting signed to Epic, but uh, to EMI, Manhattan Records EMI. Great. And we make two records. Um, we make the first record and it it tanked beautifully. Um, <laughs> and then we were getting ready to make the second record. And because of my relationship with the singer in Judas Priest um, and, and Glenn Tipton, the guitar player in Judas Priest, I knew, I knew a man called Tom Allen who had produced all the Judas Priest records and Def Leppard. Yeah. And they're able to make a deal, and we and we do the second record with Tom Allen, which was the greatest experience I've ever had making a record. Because making the first the first urgent record was a fucking nightmare, huh. and it was it's sad to say that it's sad to say that because you wait you wait your your whole life to make your first record to get a deal it's like you you're like a you're like a kid guitar player like when i get that deal yeah. ma you know and i got and there's the deal and it was produced by um Mick Ronson may he rest in peace that should, that should have been and and Ian Hunter okay unfortunately you know that tanks as well i i found a video for um uh diving for pearls Diving for Pearls is another band. Again, I, you know how how I arrive at Diving for Pearls is another story. But again, a band that that uh, wanted to kind of do the same thing. They were sort of very kind of polished. The the band already existed. It was Danny Malone and Jack Moran, and then they had two other guys. That this woman, Gigi Freddie, the woman who. The girlfriend got me the audition right, yes. for the first urge, right? Who at this time we were no longer together, but we were friends. She finds because this, she had a fucking vision, man, that was crazy. She finds diving for pearls and says to them, "You two guys are great. We got. I got to put everything, all different people around you." And calls me and goes, "You got to come see these guys. They're great songwriters." And I was like. Yeah, the songs are good. You know what I mean? Um, and then that's how, and then she gets Diving for Pearls, the deal. She begins to shove that band around. That band gets signed. We basically get signed out of the China Club in New York City, which. Oh, I remember the, the China was, Club. Yeah. Where was that? Yeah, of course. Where was the China that was Club? On, that was on Broadway in like in the 70s. Yes, the 60s. that's right. Because it, was, it wasn't anywhere you'd expect to find a rock. It was something near like the Beacon Theater. It was by the Beacon. And you went downstairs. Yes, got it. Yeah, it was like it was that place was, you know, that was like if you were going to play anywhere in New York, that's where you wanted to play, you know. Yeah. And and so we would pack that place, and it was like we became this like sort of hot band in New York, and that's how we got signed out of there. But again, not, not stuff that was terribly interesting for me to play.
Let's let's transition then, because you make an interesting transition here from music to acting, and uh, by by working in a musically centered film, The Mambo Kings, where you're you're part of the the band. I just watched it last night. Amazing cast! Oh my god, that cast is insane. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Vondi Curtis Hall is in there, and and, and uh, Roscoe yeah. Lee Brown, yeah. and then all, and I'm like, I, I was staring at the screen. I was like, is that? Is that JT Taylor from Cool in the Gang? And it is uh, playing Celia Cruz's yeah. godson. It's bonkers. So did you? It is bonkers. Yeah, that cast is is phenomenal. Um, did you, by the way, did you shoot that in? That's that's L.A. playing New York, right? Most of it. We shot it in L.A. Yeah, because there's a couple shots where like yeah. the, the establishing shot is Central Park, and then the close up, I'm like, that's Griffith Park. Don't bullshit a bullshitter. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, that's that's that that's Griffith Park. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So So that that how does that come across? How does that come to you? So So again, uh so the lead singer in Diving for Pearls uh girlfriend at the time um and I used to talk about because <clears throat> uh, you know, I because I loved acting and I would I loved movies and I would watch movies, you know. I I, I had respect for actors. I I res- you know, because Again, my grandmother and my mother, yeah, this yeah. and that. But so she says to me, hey, you know, uh, Oliver Stone is uh, doing a movie about the doors. Um, and she, so she worked at an agency called the Lucy Kroll Agency, which is a very, very old, very uh, New York theater actor agency they represented a lot of the sort of the the royalty of broadway these you know they had uh, james earl jones and you know these sort of iconic actors you know and um and lucy crawl herself was about 90 something years old mm. and didn't really run the agency but there was a woman there a woman again very smart woman a woman with a a woman with a with a fucking plan called Holly Lebet. She looks at me and she goes, it's amazing. She goes, listen, I, I don't know if you can act, but uh, you're kind of interesting. <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and uh, I would be your agent, but, but you would have to study acting. Like I would have to, you, you'd have to study acting and you'd have to really, if you're really gonna do this seriously, and I was like, so Diving for Pearls had just, we'd just gotten dropped by Epic. Okay. Another record that tanked. Sure. Tanked wonderfully. Um, <laughs> again, they were supposed to tank, John. They were supposed to I tank. I was not supposed to be there. They were supposed to tank. This I was, was not supposed to. This was Bichert. Yeah. yeah, by all means. Yeah. Um, so I go, uh, Holly says, meet with these teachers. I meet with a teacher called Bill Esper. Who, oh, yeah, of course. William Esper Studios. Yeah. Exactly. I start to study with, and um, he begins to change my life, begins to change my way of thinking, the way I feel. Um, So I go, I go on the audition for the Doors movie. I I don't, I don't get that. Were you, were you going for Robbie Krieger? I don't know. I I don't even, I don't even know what I, I don't even remember. Okay. It was like general sides, you know, it's like they would just give you sides from whatever. And they would like, 
you know, they were like mixing and matching. Sure, it was like sure. 31 flavors. I mean, yeah, of course. probably, I don't fucking know. <laughs> um, um, I'm, I'm a spitting image to Robbie Krieger. Um, horrible. By the way, did you watch him? Uh, God bless him. Did you watch him playing the national anthem? No. Like recently? No, I didn't. On slide guitar? Oh, no. It's, don't, don't, it, it's painful. Is it going to bum me out? It's It'll it'll make you weak. All right, I don't want that. That's what it'll do. No, I'm just barely uh, hanging on as is. No, but no, uh, okay. yeah, mad respect for him. But uh, yeah, no. So I go. I don't, so I don't get that job. So I'm in the acting class. And I'm going along and like you know, and uh, and the guys in the band literally come to me and go, you know, we don't we don't dig that you're doing this acting class thing and like you know you're either you know we're trying to get another deal mm. and you're either in the band or you're not in the band and what are you gonna do? So they basically gave me this ultimatum, you know, and I go, I go to Bill Esper and I say, Hey man, you know, these guys are basically saying like, are you, you know, and he, Bill looks at me and goes, Hey man, you know, I can't tell you what to do, but uh, you know, if you're asking me, if I think that you have talent as an actor, the answer is yes, but you have to make your own decision. So I literally go back and I quit the band that fucking night. Wow. And uh, which was, which was very strange. So, so I, I was in a cab on eighth Avenue going home and I realized and I thought, what have I done? What have I fucking done? I've been, my whole life has been a, a guitar player. You know what I mean? So now I'm in this acting class and I get my first job. Literally a few months later, I get my first job. So what happens is I start auditioning for this movie called The Mambo Kings. And literally, and it matched, I went in a great long hair. I had it in a ponytail and you know, I slicked it back. It's just whatever. I started reading for this movie and I read like six times. I read for like, I even wound up reading for Antonio Banderas's part. I start reading like for a tiny part and then I read for another part. And then I, and I wind up reading for Antonio Banderas's part. And then I get a phone call that Arnie Glimpscher, the guy who directed the movie mm -hmm. wants to have a meeting with me. Great. So I go see Arnie. Arnie, I don't know if, do you know Pace Gallery? Pace Wildenstein Gallery? Yeah. Big, very, that's Arnie. Arnie owns Pace Gallery. Oh, okay. I don't think I realized that. All right. Right. Yeah. Arnie's an art dealer. You know, he is his whole life. Uh, I mean, not just an art dealer, one of the most prestigious art dealers in the world. That's really interesting because I was struck by the use of color in Mambo Kings and, and how visually it looks, it takes place in the 50s, but also kind of looks like the sort of film that was shot in the 50s. It looks like a Technicolor Douglas Sirk melodrama. Yeah, it's saturated. It's very yes. saturated. Yeah, it looks amazing. So it makes sense that the the guy would have his his foot in the in the visual arts world. Go on. Sorry. Again, the 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 man who shot the Mambo Kings is a man was a man passed away called Michael Ballhouse. Oh, sure, of course. Who, who you know shot Goodfellas? I mean, yeah, legendary great, cinematographer. Great, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I I so I go to Pace to meet Arnie. It was all the auditions were at. Pace Gallery on 57th Street. Oh, wow. um, and the casting director was Billy Hopkins, who, again, uh, is a guy who gives me three amazing jobs. Like, he basically started my career. You know, I have, I owe a great debt to Billy, people like Billy Hopkins and Risa Brayman and, and, you know, A.V. Kaufman. This is people that are insanely, insanely kind to me, you know. Um, so Arnie says, hey, man, uh, look, I really like you. I'm going to cast this guy. 
from Spain called Antonio Banderas. He's a big star in Spain. But I really, I really fucking like you. And I want you in the movie. Um, I don't have a part for you, but I want you in the movie. So we're going to make up a part for you. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, we're just, you and I, we're going to create a part because you, I want you in the film. And that was, the, that's the story. That's how, I, that's how I got my first job. And the next thing I know, I'm on my way to Los Angeles where they go cut all my hair off. Yeah. Because it's 1952. Yeah. And haven't been in a band since, John. Wow. What, what's interesting about the movie is that you are, it's a movie about two musicians from Cuba and you might be one of the only Cubans in the film. Was that, were you cognizant of that? Were you the resident Cuba expert? Were you, what, did it kind of annoy you? It's, I mean, I'm not trying to start shit where there doesn't have to be shit, but was there a part of you yeah. that was like, we couldn't find more Cubans to be in this movie? You know, there's a couple of other Cuban guys that are real salsa, real salsa musician guys yeah. um, that are in the movie. Uh, to be honest with you, I was so happy to have a job. Right. I didn't I didn't even think of that. Right. I mean, I didn't. Now, this is going to really blow your fucking mind. Hit me. We did a reading of the movie. We did a reading of the movie at Pace with Kevin Klein. In the Armando Sante part. Oh wow! Oh, that's a choice. That's okay. Um, huh? Armando Sante, who it should. I don't, okay. Hmm. How did that go? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it, it was good. I don't know that. I think Kevin was maybe testing the waters. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. Um, you know. And then, and then, it, it, having conversations with 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 Arnie, uh, he confided in me that. Uh, Jeremy Irons had wanted the part and had done a done a screen test for it. See, it's it's and wow. Okay, interesting. It's it's it was a different time, my friend. No, I know it was you a know? different time. I recognize that. And our, you see, Armando Sante is interesting because he was of that era. He was probably the most ethnically ambiguous actor. He would go back and forth like, "Hi, you're Mike Hammer and next week you're a Puerto Rican drug lord." And that was like <laughs> that was his career for that that yeah. that golden era of Armando Sante. And then he's French in Private Benjamin. You know, he's just all over the place. Correct. He's like the Oscar Isaac of his time. Like anyone with dark hair, he can play him. Go. Um and that's obviously amazing. none of that stuff would happen now for better or for worse. Um, but it's, that's so wild that they would go so far as to be like, you know, actually for our Cuban band leader, I like Jeremy Irons. That's my, that's my guy. <laughs> the fact that that was even a discussion. Well, I think, you know, it's, no, I think Jeremy Irons pursued it. Really? I think he pursued it because I think he, well, you have to understand it's Jeremy Irons who doesn't, he doesn't screen test for anything. Right. And interesting. Jeremy Irons. He was he he was already Jeremy Irons. He was like he's and I think he got an Oscar by test. then. By then he's got an Oscar for Reversal Yo, of Fortune. Yeah, yeah he had right. an Oscar for for uh, playing Klaus von uh, Bulo. Uh, Bulo. Yeah. Right. So he, I think he wanted it. I think he I think he felt, and I don't blame him for this. He was like, it's an amazing man, role. I, this is another side of me they've never they, the world doesn't think I have. Yeah, you know sure. I, mean? I want to do this. And then I think Arnie said to me, I think for five minutes, 
De Niro was in the part. Oh, wow. I think Arnie said that. It's a very long time ago, so my memory could be completely fucked no, up. No, I but, see that, too. Um, you know, that makes, a, that makes a certain amount of sense, too. I mean, you need someone who's who's got this incredible authority and stage presence. That's what's cool about the Mambo Kings is that sometimes you see movies about bands and you see the band perform and you're like, eh, that's all right. The Mambo Kings are just a great live act. You know, the concert footage in that yeah. movie is really dynamic and fun. You're like, God, that'd be a great night out. I would love to see this band, yeah. you know, and that isn't always the case for movies about fictional bands. Did you guys no. rehearse as a band? We, we we rehearse as a band. I obviously am not a horn player. Right, right. But I, we had lessons and I sort of, I we had, we wore these earwigs, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we would sync to these earwigs. Okay. I mean, so, um, you know, the tracks were the tracks, you know, we had to, we had to stick to a certain track because they had the, and they were lip syncing to, you know, they did record, I think the singing, mm -hmm. um, and then they they were lip syncing to it, but so okay. we were all syncing to a track. But but the timbali player in that band, the the the, the bass player, all those guys, they play for real. Yeah. They play for real, man. Yeah, you know, for real. Yeah, they were the real fucking deal. It's it's a really um, it's a fun slice of life. Uh, of that era of the New York music scene. It's a, it's really, a, I, I was gonna watch it just for your scenes and then ended up watching the whole thing. I, I really enjoyed it. Well, there's, I don't have much, I don't have a lot to do in the, to do in the movie, but you know, but the, 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 the movie- You're in it so much Arnie though. Glenn. I mean, you don't, you don't talk a lot, but you're in it so much and you're, you know, they always say listening is the hardest part of acting. You know, you're invested yeah. in in so many of your scenes, watching the brothers break down at each other. That you know, you're you're yeah. you're a crucial part of that film. Well, thank you for saying that. I haven't watched the film in I can't I don't even know how 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 long it's been. Um, what what I, I what I I was going to say to you is that the the film really the genesis of 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 the film is really from a from a very honest place because because Arnie is a is a real real lover and aficionado of mambo yeah and would go to the Palladium and dance at the Palladium and when the book comes out Arnie loves the book this is the Oscar Huelos so book upon which right, the film is based right and he buys the rights wow okay then the book wins. Pulitzer, right. which then becomes another. So Arnie had never directed a film. You know, it's a very interesting situation. He'd never directed a movie. Um, but he, uh, through tenacity, you know, and desire and, and power, you know, the, the, he had the ability, gets the fucking movie made, which is incredible to me. That is incredible. The... As long as we're, we're, I'm going to ask about a role that is somewhat mired in controversy through no fault of your own, but it's one of your rare comedic roles, so I really want to discuss it. Uh, I'm talking about your, your work on Seinfeld. <laughs> um, yeah. And I mean, there's, there's, it's, it's a recurring role as, as, as Bob um, 
uh, on that show. There's one episode that just is been locked away in that can't be shown anymore. Um, uh, what was that experience like for you? You know, um, in, 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 in what sense, how do I arrive there? How do you, well, how do you arrive of... there for one thing? How do you arrive there with, um, cause it's a very specific pitch that Seinfeld was at in terms of the performances on that show. And, um, yeah. yes, it's a multicam, but it's sort of a, a, a it's a, it's, there's a very specific style to to what worked on that show. Everyone, because because Seinfeld is such a, and he'll be the first to tell you, is such a one-note actor, he had to surround himself by these genuine clowns, you know, these people with like deep stage yeah. work behind them. So it's, it, it's, un, it's, it's not like Friends, it's not like Cheers, where everyone's kind of grounded. There's a certain like higher pitch to the acting on Seinfeld. There's, there's a, you're right. You're absolutely right. There's a, and it's a particular style that it's hard to explain, yeah. but it, but it is, it's a, it's a certain rhythm you got to go into. Um, the, the character's name is Bob, the intimidating gay guy. I did so not realize again, that was the full name. Woman, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's yeah. the Holly Lebed, the woman mm -hmm. I referenced earlier, uh, um, I was in LA and she says, I have a last minute audition for you for Seinfeld. I, I don't think I'd done a sitcom and I didn't really, it's weird. I never envisioned myself doing a sitcom. All right. uh, so I, I, she goes, you have to go to CBS Radford. Um, you know, like back then you'd like, you literally would go, you, you get the sides right there. They get, maybe they, they maybe they just wrote the character, you know, yeah. like those things would like, they write them like, and then, Oh, that works tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like yeah. crazy shit like but that. But you're not going to get a PDF because so you don't have there. email. So it's just, you know, it's completely fly. You're basically doing there a cold no read. PDF, right. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so we go, I go, so I go to Bradford and I get the size and I go, I look at this thing and I go, what the fuck am I going to do with this thing? And I have this idea to do an imitation of my mother. Ah. My mother's a very, very intense Cuban woman who was very in your face. You know what I mean? And my mother was very, very, there was one law in my house, no, no negotiation. And that was my mother. Yeah. So I go, I'm just going to fucking do that. So I go in the room and Jerry and Larry, David are in the room and the casting director. Wow. And, um, I go in the room and I do, and I do that, what you saw. And, and, and I, and then I stop and they're looking at me and they're like, what was that? And I go, it's an imitation of my mom. He's like, can you do it again? I go, yeah. So, so I did it again. Then they gave me a couple of notes. And they're like, okay, great. Wait outside. You know, it's one of those things. Sometimes it would make the actors wait outside. It's, just, it, it's usually good news. It was such a, what, what, except all the actors were waiting. Oh, I see. Hmm. Okay. You, you may have four or five guys there. Ah. You have four or five guys there. And then, and then they're like, come back in again. And it's really fucking, it's a, it's a horrible thing. Yeah. Horrible. It's, it's, it's humiliating. It's really nerve wracking. Yeah. It's humiliating. And then they'll be like, yeah, Timmy and Henry, you guys can go. Uh, uh, so and so and so and so and so you stay. And then those guys keep going back in again. And you keep going back in like a, like a, it's fucking horrible. John, 
It's fucking horrible. I, 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 if I, I had directed anything, I would never do that to an actor. You know, I would never do that to an actor. No. You know, I have these fantasies of like one day if I direct something, which I don't know that I want to direct anything because I hate people asking me questions and that's all directors get yeah. is fucking questions. Yeah, the buck I mean, stops with you. Every I'm buck like, stops with you when you're directing. Sounds awful. And, and the weight of the budget is on you, you know? So, so they, they hire me. They, 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 they hire me and I go and they're like this, you start, basically you start working day after tomorrow or tomorrow. Some shit. I don't even remember. And I go, oh, okay. So I go and, and it's the first episode. It's the, uh, it's the armor. Yeah. It's a soup Nazi. Yeah. And I find, so I, I meet the guy who plays my boyfriend. The late, great who, John Paragon. Do you know who that, that's it. Yeah. That blew my mind. That was almost the coolest thing about the whole thing because I was such a fan of that guy and I was such a fan of Pee Wee's Playhouse yeah. and I go, fucking hell, you're John B. the fucking genie. Yeah. Mecca like, like a high, Mecca like, high, yeah, hell. Yeah. Dude. Dude. Yeah. That's all I wanted to talk to him about was like, and he, he told me so many stories of Paul and how Paul came up with the character and then well, all the Paragon, Paragon and Paul you know, Rubens came up with the Groundlings together in that class yeah, that included with, like uh, Cassandra Peterson. Elvira. Yeah, sure, sure. That whole crowd. Um, he told me about Elvira oh sort of appearing, God. how she, you know, how they, they would bring in these things, pieces of it, and then they would put it together and then it became what those things became. But it was, it was kind of crazy. But so, you know, we did it. We did the first one. And then um, one of the funniest things is watching Larry David uh, give me notes as as Bob the Intimidating Gay Guy. So imagine Larry David going, can you do it like this? Oh, no. oh wow. <laughs> Fucking amazing. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. It was, actually, it was kind of incredible. So then we do... Then we, then we, I do one more. Then we do the Puerto Rican Day Parade episode, which was the one that really kind of, you know, uh, he throws the sparkler. The sparkler lights the Puerto Rican flag on fire. Yeah. Then he's putting it out. He's stomping on it. And uh -huh. then uh, it became a whole thing. And then Jerry apologized, which, you know, uh, to be honest, I didn't think he should have apologized. I don't think... I don't think, I don't think you can, because uh, it wasn't done in that way. Right. I know the way that, I know the way that it was meant, and I, I and, and I think when you begin to apologize for comedy, we're we're so fucked. Well, the you know, the, you know the 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 flag thing is maybe a you know that's maybe another podcast. What what is interesting to me as a New Yorker was. I won, those were so many of my neighbors were incredibly young, hot guy, slightly older guy who was caretaker slash boyfriend. Like that trope is a trope for a reason. I grew up in Midtown Manhattan. There were a gazillion, yeah. that's, those are my mom's friends. Those are, you know, my mom's yeah. coworkers in publishing. Those are the guys on my block. And it was such, and yet I had never, what Seinfeld did so well was it showed you the parts of New York that everyone knew about, but had never been caught on film. That's right, man. That's right. And, and, and no one was spared on Seinfeld from 
from a jab. No, and I mean, that's the thing no is one. that it was it was it wasn't it never really felt too punch downy. It was just punch everywhere. You know, everyone was getting punched at one point or another, and it's going to sound got it's going to sound like I'm making excuses, and I, I recognize that, but I I feel like there was such a uh, a genuine gleeful need to offend everybody on that show that I I think is one of the reasons it's still in uh it's still in the canon as um as such a fun oh, yeah. show. Yeah. I think if I'm not and I don't I could be wrong, I think that episode is now available. Oh, is it now? It was like the think, second it, to I last for, it's like the second to last episode ever of the series. It is it, it, is, it, it, it is the to second last to last. Episode. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. Because yeah. I was on hold for the last episode, and then they wound up not using the character, but it was the second to last wow. episode. It was absolutely the second to last episode. In fact, I have a script that I have in a box signed from Jerry and Michael Richards. Like, I, mean, I think Jerry wrote to the greatest Seinfeld villain ever. Oh, that's you know, wonderful. You, you know, like, wow. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's, it's, Wayne Knight well, better not hear about became... that. <laughs> Fucking Newman better not get wind of that shit. We might have to cut that out. Whoa. Yikes. Uh, um, now no, you it, know, we got it, political it, disputes. <laughs> <laughs> the character, uh, I think Rolling Stone did top 50 uh, Seinfeld uh, characters ever. And I think I'm like number 12 or some shit. Nice. It became like. Nice. Uh, Nice. It became, you know, it, it just sort of took off. I don't, it was just, I had no idea. You know, I had never watched Seinfeld. Oh, wow. Interesting. So I didn't, yeah, I didn't know anything about it. Um, you've mentioned, uh, you're talking about like acting with John Paragon and you've talked about a couple of them. Who are some other actors you, you liked as you were, you were coming up? You were obviously watching a ton of movies and, and TV as a, as a kid. Who were some actors, not necessarily big stars, but people sort of in the corner of the screen that were like, oh, that's, that's, who's that guy? I want to know more about him. Who, who were some guys like that? Uh, there was, the the one that comes most to, 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 to mind. And, and um, I remember working with Chris Walken was, uh, was wild and, and um, incredibly uh, exciting. Maybe the, the, the most generous actor I've ever experienced off camera, you know, like giving off camera, which you always want to give more. So, so your fellow actor has something more things to react to, you know, right. because by the time maybe they've they've turned around on him, it's you've done it eighty times and it's gone fucking. You know, you got to give him something else. Right, right. So he's incredible. But there's a guy. <clears throat> there's a guy. I I got a job, and this is later on. This is probably about 10, 10 years ago. <clears throat> uh, that I had admired so so much that I, I thought he's one of the one of our great great actors so I, I got a job on a show called Treme to play David Morse's partner oh wow um yeah and I was like I literally was like they're like yeah you, and I was like I literally just said yes I didn't know all that when I heard yeah it's David Morse's partner I'm like yes yes and 
So I go to New Orleans and maybe my first day and I'm a little nervous because uh, I'm, I'm in awe of David Morse, you know? Um, and in fact, I think any actor, any actor who isn't is dead. I'm a fan <laughs> from, uh, uh, from St. Elsewhere. I go back to St. Elsewhere with that guy. I, I love his work. He's incredible. Dancer in the dark. He's fucking incredible. Yeah, he's great. Oh, dude, ridiculous. So my first day, I go, I got to like fucking like, you know, I have to work with him now for like six, seven episodes and I have to be, you know. So the first day I they go, you all, this is David Morrison. He's very, you know, he's super, he's very friendly, but he has this exterior of like, he puts his hand and he goes, hey, how you doing? Yeah. And I shook his hand. And I go, hey, man, can I talk to you a second? And he goes, yeah. He goes, hey, I just want to tell you this, man. Um, uh, like, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of yours and I think you're one of our greatest actors and uh, uh, there's there's a couple of people who have careers that the careers that I dream of having, and, and you're one of those guys. And I just I just need to tell you, for me, this is an unbelievable thrill. And I'm just going to tell you this now, and I'm not going to say it again. Uh, but I need to just to say it because mm. uh, I need to just get it out. And he looks at me. He goes, "Well, thank you, thank you for saying that, you." And uh, that was it. Yeah. And we carried on and him and I are like, we're good buds. Nice. And, um, he, he's, uh, that was a, that was a big thrill to work with that cat, man. Well, that he can, he is... does this thing where he, he has a quietude to his performances that, that he uses to great effect when he's doing something funny. And he has done some comedy. He's also played some hor horrifically menacing characters. He's on Broadway right now mm -hmm. playing a sex offender as we speak um, in the revival yeah. of How I Learned to Drive. Um, but were you drawn to like the, the, I mean, that's a guy who, who always acts like the frame is really tight. You know, he's just got a real subtlety to him no matter what he's doing. Works. It's it's very, it's very restrained work. And I think that's, that's the work that thrills me. That's, it's, it's, it's the work that Montgomery Cliff did, mm -hmm. who's probably my favorite actor. Mm -hmm. Like histrionics, gilding the lily is nothing that fucking interests me. I, I want to take away as much as, as much as I can and have a director say, put some back in or, right. or take away more. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, yeah. But, but you know, even on stage, you can be insanely still mm -hmm. and be insanely powerful. You know, it's it, it, I've experienced it. I know it. It's possible. Well, I think you get some of that instinct from music. I think your work as not just a guitarist, but a drummer probably makes you a little more tuned to the power of silence. You think that's fair to say? Yeah, I think... I, th I think it is fair to say, absolutely, because it's about, you know, in music, it's about some uh, more than what you play, it's what you don't play. Right, right. You know what I mean, it's what notes do you leave out? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and I think my my comedy, I don't know, I, it's funny because people don't really sort of know me for comedy, but but I've done a lot. Uh, 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 you know, like Motherfucker with the Hat, which I did on Broadway, right. is a comedy. Yeah. Um, it's a dark one, but it know, is a comedy. Yeah. It's a dark, it's a dark one. Yeah. It is a dark, yeah, you're right. But, but, uh, um, I think being a drummer helps you, you understand time mm -hmm. and you understand rhythm. Yeah. You know, I remember finding out that Peter Sellers, another one of my idols, 
was a jazz drummer. Oh, that makes a ton of sense. Crazy, right? That makes His a parents ton had a vaudeville act. Oh, wow. And he was like a kid drummer and he's like a jazz drummer. It would have been actually like a more of a music hall act in Britain, I imagine. Yeah. Um that's yeah. that's really interesting. Yeah, there's a certain like there's a sense of like playing along and knowing when to come in and when to come out. And as, as much as he's known for his broad characterizations, there's a great deal of subtlety in his broad character. You look at the president in, in Dr. Strangelove, you know, who is, you know, the most. Or look at being there. Or being there. Yeah, by all means. These are these being are there is, understated, is such a strength. understated performances. Speaking of understated performances. um. Russian Dolls coming back, and um, what's interesting, it's sort of a, you're shooting it around the same time as you're shooting um, Severance, but the guy in- No, I'm not in Russian Doll. You're not in the second one? Two. You're not in the second season? I'm not in the second season of Russian Doll. No, my I had one, it was a one season deal. What's interesting about, about Russian doll. This is actually a thing that goes through a lot of your career is you've got this tendency to get jobs that that reflect something going on in the zeitgeist right now. You know, we're, we're starting to talk more about the idea of alternate universes, and that's becoming a little more of a mainstream idea outside of scientific circles because of the Marvel Universe, but also because of stuff like Russian doll. Um, uh, you know, people start to question the drug war and then you book narcos and, and we start to, you know, what are the roots of this thing? You know, what are, you know, was this all worth the money and the violence? But Russian Doll is interesting because you're, you're kind of a lawn for the ride. How did you, how do you shoot that show? Just practically, do you shoot all your stuff in a row? Um, do you kind of come back and no, you just, you do it as you episode by episode. Yeah, you do it, you know, you do it. Yeah. You do it episode by episode, and you have to uh, you have to really uh, track it, and you have to have a great script supervisor. Yes, who knows who knows where you are, and then who knows that you got to go back from here, and then this is the reverse of that, and you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, yes, it's it's uh, it's it was. I remember I remember reading it and going like. I thought it was amazing. I was like, this, they sent me the first two episodes of season one. I was like, fuck, this is so good. You know I mean, this is so good. I I think season two goes in another direction because I, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I don't know anything about season two. Okay. Um. So, so I don't, I, I, I don't want to pretend to know anything of that, but I thought I'd heard that it, it went into another way. Cause I don't know. I don't know how much of that, uh sort of groundhog day thing you can sustain you, you can do right. i mean yeah you know but for the part that you did work on there is a there's a part you kind of seem like her north star to a certain extent like you're the ex but you're you're a constant in her life you're a sort of calming influence in your life was that something you talked about with natasha and 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 the directors or did it just kind of come very naturally to you where you were going to be just sort of like the her port in a storm? I think it's I think it's I think it's written. It's written in. It's like it's like the port in the storm that she she constantly pushes away and, mm -hmm. and just kind of, you know, really uh sometimes it's not very 
very nice to him. Right, you know I mean? right. Um, and he keeps coming back for more. You know I, mean? <laughs> I used to say, I used to ask, why does he, why does he keep coming back? Does he just love punishment? <laughs> you know, like, he's so in love with her. I'm like, okay, okay. You know, um, the thing about that is she's so, you know, uh, I've known her a long time and she's a, Natasha. She's a friend and yeah, she's a friend and wanted me to do this. And I got to, you know, it was interesting for me to play something I don't get to play uh, a, a lot is, uh, the romantic lead, the guy yeah. who kisses the girl. Yeah. You know I mean, and it's, uh, you know, um, and I'm starting to take them personally. I gotta be honest with you. Uh, well, I mean, um, you want to, you want to get into this conversation. We're going to be here all day, man. I, <laughs> I, you know, good Lord. I, I can't tell you how many times I've literally been in like the montages of, uh, like the, the horrible date montage that you see in, in, in movies sometimes of like, oh, this is how hard it is to be a single woman. You got these losers lining up for you. That's me. I have done those montages. It's uh, uh, so, so cry me a river. You'll be okay. Um, <laughs> you get there when you get there. Um, to get there in your 50s, though, is fantastic. How cool is that? No, it's very good. It's, it's, you, you it's, silver it's fox. very good. And then, I, <laughs> and then in promised land, I got to, you know, it's funny, my I my hair during the pandemic, uh, I, I was not working, obviously, so uh, there was no dye in it. So it 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 this is my natural hair color. And then when Stiller sees it, he goes, hey, man, I really like your hair like that. Of course, I look just like him. You could literally like there's a picture of, of him of him and of him directing me. I'm like, I go twins. That's amazing. Separated at birth. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, you guys do. Um, yeah, you guys are like, hey, can now. we. Yeah, we have literally the same fucking haircut and the <laughs> head color now. But he said, hey, can we keep your hair like that? And I go, yeah, it's super easy. So he really liked it. And then uh, I for, for Promised Land, which, again, I get to kiss the girl. I, it, it, it's funny. It, it, it's come later in life when I, I get to kiss the girl. Um, Tell me a little bit more about uh, Promised Land. Promised Land is a sh it's, it's on Hulu. Um, it's... it's uh, We'll see what happens with it if it gets another season. It's a, it's a family drama, um, and it's it's about a um, it's about an immigrant family who comes and 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 makes an amazing life, a uh, very wealthy life for themselves. And there's two brothers, and the brothers have a falling out, and you know there's a lot of other um, complicated uh, family dynamics. Uh, but uh, I I. I enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed Matt Lopez, the creator of the show, was uh, just a lovely guy, and um, and John uh, uh, Ortiz, who uh, is plays the patriarch, and I have known each other for thirty years, and we play brothers in this. Are you? And, you um, mentioned. I'm sorry. You mentioned motherfucker the hat. You mentioned Philip Seymour Hoffman. Were you a labyrinth guy? I'm one of the founding members of labyrinth. I apologize for not knowing that. Um, no, I, no I, worries, man. I, no worries. I, I'm no longer. It's a little, I'm, I'm no longer a lot. That's another podcast. Okay. But when <laughs> Phil died, a lot of things went on there that I didn't agree with. Okay. So the labyrinth uh, is was, this amazing, thinking, uh, 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 theater company based out of New York that was founded by, by Yule and by Philip Seymour Hoffman and a lot of amazing well, was, playwrights. Yeah. Um, we have, a, then we have even more, we have a ton of friends in common, dude. We have Ana Ortiz in common. We have, uh, Jason Manuela Rosabal in common. I love I, lo I love Jason. Jason's the I man. Did Bad Boys too. That's where first time I met him. 
I just saw Jason do Anna in the Tropics at a theater here in Altadena um, playing the Lector. Um, he's phenomenal. That's right. That's what he said. He yeah. said he was doing that. Yeah. He's a great guy, man. He's a terrific actor. I love that guy. Oh, that's so cool. Great actor, great guy, and a good uh, a good human, which yeah, not always the case. Not always the case. No, it's absolutely true. He's my neighbor, and our kids are friends, and um, uh, and I know Jason's been involved with the lab for for twenty plus years, and uh, so it's always fun when when that connection uh, comes up. Um, Yule, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. Um, uh, your website is yulevasquez.com which is predominantly your visual work. It is, it's only my visual work. There's nothing about acting on there. I don't have a website for acting. It is, if you don't know I'm an actor and you go to that site, you'd be like, who's who the fuck is who's this guy? great painter and photographer? <laughs> that's, that's very kind of you. Uh, no, I'm actually, it, it's really, it's very stunning work. We're in an audio medium here, but it's, it's really striking work. And we talked about your, uh, your, your, um, you're, you cited Basquiat and Cy Twombly as, as people you've admired. What has painting taught you? What has painting and photography taught you about acting? You know, um, to to be in tune with with to be present. Really, that's to me. That's the whole key to all of it. To life, even. You mean? Uh, you know, I I can I can. I can go to work and and be across from an actor and I can tell that they've already decided how they were going to do this three weeks ago. Oh, wow. You know? Yeah. And I'm like, you're not in the room with all of us like this. You're just running lines in your bedroom, dude. This, just... this is all part of, this is all, this is all this table. This is all part of the gestalt, man. Yeah. This is all of, this is all connected. You're not breathing this air. You're rehearsed this in the mirror and 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 I can and I'm and I realize now and it's funny because you can just tell right away. So <clears throat> a photograph, you know, and the, the work I do is I I start walking down the street with and I work with very fast cameras. Sometimes I work with bigger cameras, but that's that's a slower thing. I'm doing somebody's portrait on the street or something, but I'm usually walking and, and taking the pictures. So I'm just completely in tune with what's fucking going on what what spirits are coming man mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. you know and and with a painting painting is the same thing i'm just like i stand in front of the thing and i'm like where are we let's go let's what's here start making marks and then you you know and the thing about those two things is that there is no director or writer or editor in the way mm -hmm. it's literally the materials and my brain and that's it, man. You I mean there's no no one there's no one telling me don't do that. You know? There's, so there's no monitor to look it's at. You're incredibly just, it's honest. You. Yeah, it's honest. And there's an there's an autonomy that you don't always get as an actor. And rare, but by, by the time the people watch what we did, it's gone through so many hands. Yeah. So many people have picked at it. And if you're lucky and you get to work with the right people. Then the right people picked it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you're like, then you trust people that are, they're like, yeah, I trust this guy because this guy, you just trust somebody. And there's some people, there's some people you go to, some directors you go to work with, and you're like, we're fucking doomed. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you just know you, you know, like you, you go ask a guy a question, and and 
and they don't have an answer, like their eyes, their eyes glaze over. And I'm like, copy that. Um, you know, Bill Esper used to say, and now, now wrap your head around this. Bill Esper used to say, if I do one thing in this class, is to make you director proof. Oh, wow. So when you meet somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, they won't sink you. That is so a you, uh, so you can float. <laughs> no so you one can fuck your you ass, up, man. No one can fuck you up, and your ass yeah. is always covered. That is gorgeous. Yeah, because you you have guys asking you to do things you, where, you, where you're like, this was this this is I'm not going to put this in your hands because I know what I know what you'll do with this. So no, I'm not going to do that for you. You know. Um, let's end there. That is a beautiful note to end on. Yul Vasquez, thank you so much for your time. It has been a delight talking to you. John, the pleasure is mine, my friend. You're you're amazing. And that is an episode wrap on Yule Vasquez. You can find him on Instagram at Yuluminati. Y-U-L-U-M-I-N-A-T-I. It works better visually. You look at it, you're like, oh, that's funny. If I spell it, it loses some of its magic. Uh, you can also find him at YuleVasquez.com, which features all of his visual work, which, again, is really stunning and arresting. I recommend giving it a look. Forever! Dog. Household Faces is a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by John Ross Bowie, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Produced by Ben Blacker. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. Until next time, when's lunch? <laughs>